good morning. It is great to see you. Those pictures are not just pictures of people that we don't know. Those are actual people. Those are the actual kids. Those are the actual ladies that you as a church have sponsored. You as a church are feeding. You as a church are ministered to their physical needs along with their spiritual needs as they're connected to churches. And so I just wanted to champion you and just praise what God has done through you. And I just, let's just give God a hand for right now. That is pretty incredible. So those are the actual kids that you have been feeding, 30 kids a day in a feeding center, and then also 150 kids a couple times a week in a school. And then the ladies that you saw in that picture, uh, 55 ladies because of the, the monies that you have given. 55 ladies are now being sponsored. They're tied into a local church. They're also being sponsored for microloans and they're creating their own businesses. How many of you ladies actually have some of the jewelry or purses or something like that that you, you have? All right, very good. Many of you are wearing that. You saw that, saw them um, making those there and it's just exciting. Missions is about lives and what an incredible thing to be a part of and to be able to, to be involved in. Would you say, Matthew chapter six, this is where you're going today, Matthew chapter six, would you say that there are hypocrites in the church? Yes, no. Have you ever seen hypocrites in the church? Now in the first service, they all started busting out like laughing and going, absolutely. I mean, there was a riot in there, scared me half to death. I didn't know what we were gonna be getting into. So I was a little nervous on how to even ask that question in this service. But have you ever had somebody even say that the reason they're not gonna come to church with you is because there are hypocrites in the church? Yeah, that's kind of, kind of one of those interesting things. Now, if they were consistent in their argument, they probably couldn't go to work because there's probably hypocrites at work, right? Those people who kiss up to the boss and say, oh yes, I love working for you, and in turn, they really don't. Hypocrites. What about this one? Do you think there's a possibility of hypocrites being at the ballpark in Arlington? They haven't watched the Rangers in years, but they have tickets. In order to be fair, if you are not a Rangers fan and you're showing up and you have tickets for the World Series, I'll be happy to help you not be a hypocrite anymore. Just pass them on to me and I'll, be, I'll take it off your hands. Now, there are hypocrites everywhere. And when we come to Matthew chapter six, Jesus even talks about hypocrites in the church. We talked last week, we gave an illustration of how six illustrations of how that we are to take the law and how that we not only take the law, but we are to, to go beyond the law to our hearts and how our hearts apply it. And then we even went beyond that and said, we need to be following not just the letter of the law, but we need to actually follow the intent of the law and applying it to our lives. Now, Jesus comes around now and he's gonna talk about those religious actions, those things that you and I should be doing, those things that are really good. And now Jesus is gonna say, be careful of just doing those religious actions and it not really meaning anything. Matthew chapter six, you ready? Please stand for the reading of God's word. Matthew six and verse one. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. 
But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I pray that the songs that we have sung have been a sweet sound to your ear. I pray now that as we have prepared our hearts and we've readied our minds, that God, you would meet with us. God, I pray that you would give us the courage to hear and apply to our lives. God, I pray that we walk out of this place being a different people because we've been with you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. Jesus starts off and he says, beware. It's a very strong admonition. Get ready, you're about to hear something that's gonna be life-changing and you need to pay attention to this. And here's where, here's where I want to make sure that you and I hear this very clearly right up front this morning. For you and I, we are in the Bible Belt. Church attendance is something that we are very accustomed to. Maybe many of you have even grown up in church and you've been around church for a long time. And so when you come to church, you know the drill. You know when to stand up, you know when to sit down, you know we're gonna do this song and then we're gonna have a welcome. And then after the welcome, you know the routines. Matter of fact, you even know when it's time to give and when it's not time to give. And here's what I really want to throw out and give you a caution, you ready? There is a chance, there's a chance and there's a possibility that even knowing and being here that you could be living as a hypocrite. And here's what I want to be very cautious on. It's easy to walk in and go, great, I'm, here. I'm glad they're talking about hypocrites today. I am so glad my spouse really needs this. Okay, it's even really good you're looking across and go, man, it's a good thing Bob's here. He needs this one. Oh, Susie's not here today. Doggone it, God, you missed an opportunity. And it's easy to, to think about hypocrites and you look across the room or you're looking next to you and it's easy to say, that's for them. But you miss your heart. Are you following me? The danger is, that when you hear a message like this or do you see a passage like this is to, to walk around and say, man, I am glad I am not like them. You see, we've heard about Pharisees for a long time. And if you've read the Bible, you already have this negative idea. We don't wanna be like them, don't want that. And so we just kind of push it back automatically and say, I'm not a religious hypocrite, that's great. And so we'll come and, and many of us Never even give a second thought of what it could really play out. So here's what Jesus does in verse one. He gives you a main point. Verse one, he gives you a main point, and then he's gonna give you three religious illustrations on how it applies. He could have given more, but he just gives three simple illustrations on good things that you and I should be doing. Now, the Bible says this, beware in practicing your righteousness before others in order to be seen by them. If you and I have been changed by Jesus Christ, we have accepted him as our savior, then let's be real honest. There are gonna be some things that we're gonna do automatically. Our righteousness, our goodness, our good behavior, our rituals, our religious actions will not save us. Yes and amen, right? It will not save us. If you've been baptized, that doesn't matter. It will not bring salvation. You're a member of this church, it will not bring salvation. Yes and amen again. 
That's good stuff. Because what we wanna make sure we understand is you can never be good enough to actually get to heaven. You can't do it. You cannot be good enough. And so here's what the Bible tells us, that if I try to be really good on my best behavior, on my best day, when I have prayed 20 times on my best day, Jesus still sees it and God still sees it as what? Dirty, filthy rags. But when Jesus Christ has changed my life, I've become a new creature, right? I've become a new creature. Old things are passed away. And now I begin to crave something new. I begin to want to be around God's people. I want to come to church. Hello. You ever been at a point where you didn't want to come to church? Do you remember the times before you knew Jesus Christ? Why do those people get up early? That is just weird. This is Sunday. You should be sleeping in. Have you, haven't you ever heard of Sunday brunch? I mean, that's what you do. But here we are. Now that I'm a new creature, I begin to crave and desire the things of God, right? So as I begin to crave the things of God, then I begin to live out that righteousness and I begin to live out and do certain things. I begin to desire to come to church. I begin to desire to read my Bible. I begin to desire to actually help the needy. I begin to desire to do other things. Are you following me? Because my heart has been changed. Now I want to do these righteous things. Now, Jesus then comes on and he says, okay, I want you to be careful because as you're doing these good things, these righteous things, the tendency is that you're gonna become caught up in yourself and you're gonna begin to think how good you are and as you do these good things, you're thinking about, I wonder if Joe saw me. I wonder if this person saw me. And you're gonna wonder if other people have seen you do good things. Jesus has some of the strongest, strongest statements. The most blistering words that he ever spoke, he said to those who were playing the religious game. Matter of fact, all throughout the Old Testament, God has been about exposing and getting rid of religious actions, hypocrites. You go all the way back to the first family, the first family, you remember them, Adam and Eve? They had two boys, Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel are there and the first worship wars took place in the first family. Abel comes and he brings his altar and brings his offering. And as he does, he brings of his best, the very best that he had to offer his lambs, his sheep, the first fruits, the very best that he had. And he says, God, I'm giving it to you and I'm giving it on this altar. And God was pleased. Cain, his brother comes and he brings his offering. And as he brings his offering, he brings just some of his fruit, some of his vegetables, some of the, the things that kind of didn't really matter. He didn't bring his best. He just brought of. He just brought an offering. He went through the religious action of actually bringing an offering because God demanded what? The best. 
God comes to him and says, Cain, be careful. You're playing a religious game. Cain, watch out. Satan is right there. He's lurking at the door. He's ready to destroy your life. Cain, don't play the religious game. Cain, watch out. Get it right. And God gives him a chance. And Cain says, I don't want this. I'm tired of this. And he's playing the religion game. And it ends up in his hypocrisy. What does he do? He kills his brother in order to get the approval he wants seeking. But yet it backfired, didn't it? You move on. All throughout the Old Testament, God begins to give warning after warning to religious people, to people who have been around church, who understand church, who understand who God is, people who have become complacent in their lives. And here's what he says in Amos. You ready? Amos 5, maybe we can put it up here. Amos 5, God is speaking. He says, I hate, I despise your feasts. The feasts were designed to bring Glory to God, praise to God. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Hello, God just says, I don't even take delight in you showing up at church because the way you're showing up at church is a problem. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings, grain offerings, I will not accept them. The peace offerings of your fatted animals, I will not look upon them. Take them away from me. Uh, The noise of your songs. He doesn't even like the way we sing when it's done just out of ritual. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. You go into Isaiah, Isaiah chapter one, verse 11. He gives us an incredible paragraph where God is frustrated. He's tired of the religious game that people are playing. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifice, says the Lord. I have enough. I've had enough of your burnt offerings of of rams and of the fatted, well-fed beast. I do not delight in the blood of bulls, of lambs, or goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required this of your trampling of your courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and your Sabbath and the calling of your convocations. Get them out of my life. Get them out of my face. I cannot endure the iniquity in the solemn place. Do you you feel it yet? Are you feeling it? Well, Heath, come on, you're preaching to the choir. Obviously, God has a design for you and I to give us a strong warning. Because you and I, including myself, the pastor who who actually gets to bring the message, I can fall into the religious monotony just like you. And here's what Jesus is saying. He says, I want you to wake up and I want you to see something completely different. Because if you're just coming in and that's all you're doing, you've missed it. You've missed it all. So Jesus says, look down in Matthew 6. Jesus says this. If you have done it in order to be seen by people, then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Okay, let's just talk for just a minute. Jesus does a switch here. He does something that's very different in this sermon. He actually says, your father. Why is that important? Because 17 times Jesus says, your father, in his sermon. What is the difference? He says, he's gonna give you a reward. Pay attention, you're gonna get a reward. Now, I I love the fact that God says, hey, here's something you should do, this is important, and then I'm gonna reward you for it. It's kind of nice, isn't it? Jesus now tells him, he says, your heavenly father, your father, he's the one who sees. What are the rewards? I'm gonna give you at least two rewards. 
Easy, ready? First of all is this. When you move beyond religious actions, your first reward is that you get God as your heavenly father. It changes for you. You see, you no longer see God as just this enormous, huge God. You actually see him as your Abba, Father. There's a major difference when my kids respond to me out of just because I'm dad. And they just say, I love you just because I'm dad. And when they actually crawl up in my lap and they love on me and they hug me and we start talking, we have these incredible moments where they're sharing their life and I'm sharing my life. And then they kiss me on the cheek and they say, I love you, daddy. I love you, Abba. I love you, Father. You see, here's what you miss. When you play the religious game, you miss God as your heavenly Father. That's awesome. You're missing something so enormous. If you play just religion and you've just gone through this over and over, you show up to church just because that's what you do all the time. You read your Bible just because it's a checklist. You give just because it's a checklist. All those righteous religious things that you do, you're missing God as your heavenly father. And he is saying, I want to show you something new. It's more than just the God of the universe. It's the God who says, I want to be and interact with you and connect with you on on a relationship basis as your heavenly father. That not just amaze you. That blows my mind. It's an enormous thought that God of the universe wants to be my heavenly father. That's one reward. The two, it says, the God who is your father who's in heaven What is the greatest thing about heaven? What is the greatest reward about heaven? Is it that you get a walk on streets of gold? I mean, that's pretty cool. I've never had that much gold in my entire life. So it would be kind of fun to be able to walk on streets of gold. Is it the pearly gates? Oh, I know what it is. It's your mansion or your room. It's, that's what it is, right? That's the greatest thing about heaven. Oh, it's for you. Maybe the greatest thing is about you getting to see your loved ones. Yeah, those are all good. You ready for the greatest reward in heaven? Is that you get to enjoy God forever. You get to enjoy him forever and you will never know the depths of who he is and you'll never know the heights of who he is. You and I get to enjoy God forever and it blows our mind. You, here's what I want, I want you to catch. Before we can move on to any of the principles and before we can move on to any of the illustrations, you and I have got to understand and we have got to understand so clearly that this is not about you. You showing up is not about you. God working in your life is not about you. God redeeming you, saving you is not about you. I will give you five seconds to say God, is, God loves me. You're right, he does. God loves you, God loves you, God loves you, God loves you. Now we have to move on. Because here's the reason why he loves you. He doesn't love you because you're that darn good. He loves you for his glory, for his sake. Just in case you don't believe me, I wanna put up a lot of verses just so you can see it. The thing that God is most about It's about his name, his fame, his glory. 
Watch. Ready? 1 Samuel 12, verse 22. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake. Why will he not get rid of Israel? For his great name's sake. Because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Psalm 23. Many of you know this passage. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Why does God do all of this? For his name's sake. It's for his glory that he moves in your life. It's for his glory that he does this. Keep going. Psalm 25, verse 11. For your name's sake, O Lord, you have pardoned my guilt, for it is great. Psalm 31, 3. For you are my rock and my fortress, and for your name's sake, you lead and guide me. Psalm 79, 9. Help us, O God, for our salvation. For the glory of your name, deliver us and atone for our sins. For your name's sake, Psalm 106, 8. You have saved them for his name's sake, that he might Make known his mighty power. Psalm 115, 1. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name. Give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and faithfulness. Isaiah 48, 9. For my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it from you, that I may not cut you off. Psalm 48, 11. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should I should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. Ezekiel 20, verse 9, but I acted for, my, for the sake of my name, that it should not be profane in the sight of the nations among those who live here, whose side I made myself known to them, bringing them up out of the land of Egypt. Ezekiel 36, 22, therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations. Romans 1, 5, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of the, sa- uh, the faith. For who? For the sake of his name among all nations. 1 John 2, 12. I am writing to you, O little children, because your sins are forgiven. For who? His name's sake. I, I want you to see this because you will not ever move beyond religious actions until you understand that those religious actions are not about you. They're about his glory, his fame. It's about him. It's about you connecting to your heavenly father in a way that you've never connected. And when you catch that and when you grasp that, then you can begin to see what Jesus is gonna say here in the next few verses. You see, he saved you, he blesses you, he works in your life so that he brings more glory and honor to himself. Not because you're just that good. He does it because he wants to be your Abba, Father, and to connect with you in a way that you've never experienced. Have you caught it? Now he goes into three, three illustrations. When you are able to move and see that if I'm bringing, my, I'm bringing my glory about, when I do a good action, when I do these religious things, when I tell everybody how great I am at praying, when I tell everybody how good I, how many times I attend church, when I tell other people about, hey, I serve the poor, when I do that, I'm bringing glory to myself. And Jesus is saying, it's not about you, it's about what I want to do through you for my glory. And when we catch that, now these illustrations make perfect sense. First, he talks about giving to the needy. Second, he talks about prayer. 
Third, he talks about fasting. Next week, we'll talk about prayer and fasting. Today, we're gonna talk about giving for just a couple more minutes till we end. Here's what he says. Thus, when you give to the needy, did you know that giving to the needy is part of what we should do? That's when you do. He doesn't say stop giving to the needy. Jesus says, when you give to the needy, this is something you should do and you should be about. Have you ever realized how much good is done in the earth and in the world because of Christians? It was because Jesus is teaching that we actually have so much good and the helping the needy occurs over and over and over again. Matter of fact, the first Christians, Justin Martyr in AD 150, he actually heard the, the, the Roman emperor Antius Pius. He heard that the Christians were the ones to be blamed for all the bad that's going on in the kingdom. He heard that the Christians were the ones who, were, who should be, we should go after because it was the Christians who were stirring up so much trouble. They were hurting the poor. They were, and, and Justin Martyr says this. He actually wrote a letter and he demanded that the emperor come and investigate for himself to see if the poor are forsaken, to see if the needs of the widows and kids had been passed over. He actually challenged the emperor to come and see how much good has been done. Now, let me just ask you a question. What if we asked President Obama to come here to Grand Prairie and we say, here's the challenge. See if the oaks... Just see, see if the oaks, us as a congregation, us as a church, a gathering of believers, just come and see how much good we've done. Would he be able to go through each community in this area and actually say, oh, wow. Okay, you guys actually do, should exist. You guys have done enough good. You are doing good. Would that be able to be said of us? It's a good challenge, isn't it? It almost scares me. Holy cow. But Justin Martyr felt like he could clearly challenged the emperor to come and see, check it out. You go into 300 AD, you go into the plagues and you begin to move beyond 300 and Constantine and the Roman emperor. You began to move into the plagues. Do you know who, when the plagues were sweeping across Europe, do you know who actually took care of the needy? Christians. Nobody else wanted to touch because they were afraid that the plague would spread on them. And it was Christians who came and bound up the wounds And in binding up the wounds, people were going, why would you touch me? And they said, because Jesus loves you. And person after person, household after household, trusted Jesus Christ because of Christians who moved beyond just taking care of themselves. Get into the 1800s. Get into the 1800s and what begins to happen is Christians all across the United States began to realize it was part of their job to actually minister to and care for those in need. So you begin to see uh, churches start hospitals. Now you have Baptist hospitals, Presbyterian hospitals, Methodist hospitals. Why? Because Christians understood their obligation to society, that it was their job to actually take care of the needy. 1800s. There was a Harvard lawyer. The Harvard lawyer, uh, he had been a graduate, 20-year professor. 1819 was when he was born. His name is Russell Lowell. He died in 1891. He also became an ambassador to Spain and to England. People were attacking Christianity in the 1800s. And here's what he stood up and said. I challenge, quote, I challenge any skeptic to find a 10-square-mile 
spot on this planet where they can live their lives in peace and safety and decency, where womanhood is honored, where infancy and old age revered, where they can educate their children, where the gospel of Jesus Christ has not gone and prepared the way. If they find such a place, then I encourage them to immigrate thither and proclaim unbelief, end quote. It's pretty good, isn't it? Think about all the good and think about what the gospel does. Ladies, because the gospel has gone before, it allowed for the women's lib movement in the United States because it prepared the way and elevated women like never before. You hear me? This is good stuff. Children, the poor, the orphans, the, it's the Christians who understand and who have moved in and have grasped the concept that we are to care for the needy. I praise God for that. I praise God that Christians actually understood it and took it to where it should go, that we should be doing this. Now, finish off and watch what happens here. He says, so when you give to the knee, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets. I love this. Hypocrites were the, the, the actors of the day. So before you start seeing Jesus using the negative, they were just considered the actors, the ones who put on a mask and who would get on stage and they would begin to act in a different way other than themselves. And they'd portray character after character. And so Jesus says, these guys who are Religious who are taking care of the needy, what they're doing is they're putting on a mask because there's nothing really going on in their life and they're walking around into the streets and into the churches and they're helping the needy. Now the word trumpet here, there's a couple different ways you can go at it. Ready? One, the trumpet was a box where you put your alms and you put your money and you could walk up and down the streets. That was a couple people, a couple different resources said that. I couldn't quite verify it. So I'm just gonna go with the, the, the traditional view that it's a trumpet that you're blowing your horn. So these Pharisees, they would come in and Jesus is given the picture. They are acting as if they are religious and they're blowing the horn and announcing to everybody, I'm coming to give to the poor. And they would pick the widest streets and they would make sure that at the widest times when the most traffic would happen, they were walking up and down to give to the poor. Now, you and I, that's, that's kind of silly, right? We don't really go around blowing our horn or do we? Have you ever been in a prayer request time when people are telling prayer requests? This is a, this is a spiritual way of doing it. I just want to let everybody know, um, so-and-so needs prayer. And um, I spent, you know, the last four hours with them. And man, I had to give up some things that I needed to go do, but I just felt like they needed minister to. And so I spent four hours with them and they're really hurting. And, and we go on and on about what we did for them. Yeah, you ever heard that? It happens all the time. And we, we, we bring it about and we want to show our humility by how much we've done for somebody else. We blow our own horn and Jesus said, wait a minute, time out. Don't come in. Don't come in and go around and just tell everybody how much you've done for the needy and the poor. Don't blow your own horn. Don't blow the trumpet. Why don't you walk in in a different way? Why don't you walk in and actually just say, look, Nothing. Jesus says, truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. What's the reward that they've received? They've received the praise of men. Oh, you did such a great job. I'm glad you gave up four hours of your life. That was just, I'm sure that was a blessing. Wow, what'd he go? And that's your reward is that you had other people brag on you and pat you on your back and say, you're done a great job. Also, the Jews understood that if they gave to the needy, that was the highest form of reward that they would get back. There are a couple different Jewish rabbis who even taught that when you give to the needy, 
your sins would be wiped away. Completely against what Jesus is teaching, completely against the Bible. So Jesus says, don't do it. You're not gonna have a reward. You don't want that reward. Move on, verse three. But when you give, truly I say to you, they have the reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Don't even do it. Don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Now, does this cause a problem for you? For some, it does. For some people, it says, I can't ever do anything good because I don't want anybody to know about it. And so they do nothing at all. Other people will say, okay, if I'm not supposed to do anything good, you know, the right hand can't know, then I have to do everything in secret. And so if I do everything in secret, then you, you, you never see them actually around church because they're always saying they're doing things in secret. Well, that's not a really good explanation either. And then Jesus, if you remember the same guy, the same mountainside, after he spoke the Beatitudes, Jesus said, let your light so shine before men, right? That they would what? See your good works and then glorify God. So how do we put the two together? Jesus is now saying, don't let it be seen. Be it done in secret. And just a few verses earlier, Jesus is saying, let your light shine so other people can see it. How do you put the two together? The easiest way to put it together is this. If you can do it in secret and you can help those in needy, then do it in secret. If you can't, and when you help somebody and it is going to be seen and other people are going to know about it, then make sure the praise and the glory doesn't go to you. Make sure that it passes right through you to God. And then you say, I'm so thankful that God allowed me to have this opportunity and I'm so glad that God did this through me, but it's all God. It's not false religion. It's not fake. It's not being false humility. You're just saying, I am so thankful that God gave me the opportunity and you bring the praise back to him. But if you can do it in secret, what should you do? Do it in secret. Because the praise is going back to God. I love giving. Have you ever done this where you've given in an envelope, you put money in and you, you, you run up to somebody's house and you put it in their mailbox? Have you ever done that? It almost brings back memories of, you know, going and, and toilet paper in somebody's yard. This is kind of the Christian move, you know, the Christian new, new thing. You just, but man, it is so fun. You, you're going, okay, God put somebody on my heart and you put the money in the envelope and you run up and you put it in the mailbox and then you just dive back in and you should see Jamie and I do that. It's hilarious. We're just, we're cracking each other. Look, that was so awesome. And then what's fun is they have no idea who did it or what happened. And then you hear about, I just want to praise God. Because somebody blessed us, and we don't know who, but man, God just did this. And it keeps the blessing and the praise going to God. That's fun stuff. So if you can give so that you keep the blessing going to God, then make sure you do it. If people see it, praise God. Then God obviously wants it to be a benefit, maybe a courage, and let your light shine before others. That's okay, but make sure it goes through you to God. So here we go. I'm going to ask the musicians to come out. We're going to wrap up. Let me give you two points just to make sure that you're very clear on what we learned today and what we saw. Number one, all your religious actions, all your religious actions, no matter what they are, all your religious actions have two purposes. Number one, so that you connect to God. That's why you pray. That's why you do the giving. That's why you do other things. To connect to God. Number two, it's for God's fame. It's not for yours. Your religious actions are for God's glory, not yours. And when you get it confused, 
you no longer are able to connect to your Abba Father. Number two, care for those who are in need. It's my responsibility. It's your responsibility. You cannot get away from it. It is what God has called you and I to do. So as the musicians begin to get in place, here's my question for you. How have you been doing? Has it been going to God? Here's my prayer. My prayer is this, is that you and I would actually do the soul searching to find out where hypocrisy might be living and that we would be willing to get rid of it so that we become the people that God's called us to be, so that we get to enjoy our heavenly father at a new level. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal savior, this is your day. It's not about a prayer. It's not about a religious action. It's not about joining this church. It's about you actually finding forgiveness because Jesus Christ paid for it on the cross. What an incredible gift. We would love to talk to you about it. People in the welcome stand, people will be over on the sides. I will be down front after church, whatever you need to do, let's get that right. Because I want to show you from God's word what it looks like to actually be forgiven. 